Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Moment of Change, a podcast brought to you by On Purpose London. At On Purpose, we have a shared belief that systemic change is needed to tackle society's most complex and pressing problems, and we want to shine a light on the organisations working towards this. I'm Johnny Singh. And I'm Felicity Nishaw. And in this series, we and our fellow On Purpose associates will be speaking to people doing amazing things in the social and environmental impact space to find out more about what inspires them and how the work they are doing is making a tangible difference. In today's episode, Aisha Gulati is talking to Becky Earnshaw, founder of Voice21, an RSC charity working to empower children across the UK to find their voice. As you'll hear, Becky's passion for changing the education system really comes through during this conversation as she challenges us to think about why some voices are heard more than others and what Voice21 is doing to support young people and teachers to harness the power of oracy. Bliss and I will be back at the end of the conversation with more information about the On Purpose community. But in the meantime, over to Aisha, and we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Today we're joined by Becky Earnshaw, CEO of Voice21. Voice21 are a charity on a mission to empower all children and young people to use their voice for success in school and in life. They look to transform the learning and life chances of these young people through talk, with the knowledge that spoken language skills are one of the strongest predictors of a child's future life chances. Voice21 exists to increase access to high-quality oracy education, particularly for those children that need it most, and they achieve this by working in partnership with teachers and schools through a membership model. In the seven years Voice21 have been active, their reach has increased significantly throughout schools across the UK. And Becky's here today to tell us more about their mission and exactly how it fits in with wider systems change. Hello, Becky. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. It's a pleasure. Great. Well, we're going to get on to more of the amazing work that Voice21 do shortly. But before we do, in our previous podcast, we were talking about the importance of literacy and how the Shannon Trust look at literacy as a point of leverage. And obviously, the big word with you is oracy. Oracy is often an overlooked word. And I would love for you to define it. And I suppose why oracy matters. Well, oracy was a made up word. It's a nihilism that was made up in about the 1950s, 1960s, and it it comes right out of the education space. The reason that we talk about oracy as opposed to speaking skills or another word that you could use to describe the area is because it does relate so directly to literacy. So it's in, it's in order to give it that parity with literacy as numeracy as something that both is at the heart of the curriculum, but also something that can be taught. Because what we find is that oracy is often left to chance it's often seen as something which is caught not taught and that it's something that sits beyond the education system rather than a vital part of it so something that people get from their parents or their upbringing rather than something that can be developed and shaped by their time in school and beyond so our understanding of oracy is how young people express themselves verbally and that includes what we call learning through talk so how talk is used in the classroom and how we develop young people's thinking skills and cognitive development through that process of talking through ideas of expressing and negotiating knowledge with others and also how they learn really crucially to talk so what are the skills that are required to be an effective communicator and that's everything from that presentational talk sort of talk that I'm doing now with you really when you're on show where you're you're trying to um, express yourself in your best possible way and also that really messy talk that comes in the classroom so that more exploratory talk so how can we be really effective in discussing ideas well in arguing well in making a case and critically thinking through talk and develop those skills that enable you to be effective in doing that in, in a whole range of contexts 
Great. That leads me on nicely to my next point. And obviously you're talking about needing to be a purposeful and explicit with that teaching of oracy. So can you expand on the work that Voice 21 are doing in your own words and talk a little bit about your theory of change? Yeah, so Voice 21 was set up about seven years ago and our work is really about how we support schools to be able to teach oracy well. So how we can ensure that every young person across the country has access to a high quality oracy education. And we think of that in, in a number of different ways, but it is very much around that we think oracy should be an entitlement for every child and the responsibility of every teacher. It should be something which is in every classroom every day because it is so fundamental to young people's opportunities, both their time in school, so their learning in school, but also in their life chances beyond school. So our work is to enable that to happen. Now that means us upskilling the teaching population to be able to, to do that well because we know that this is not an area that's been focused on hugely in teacher education. It's not something which is, tends to be part of the curriculum for many schools. So how do we support schools to embed oracy in their curriculum and in their extracurricular opportunities, ensuring that it becomes part of that school day. And then also there's a part about how we influence the system more generally. So how do we make the case to government and policymakers, influencers and decision makers in education to say, this needs to be part of what we think of when we think of our education system. Crucially for Voice 21, in terms of our theory of change, we're trying to focus our efforts on those young people who we think are least likely to have access to this. So the most underserved in terms of access to the development of their, their speaking communication skills. So that means we're focusing our energies on those areas of economic disadvantage where we know there are many young people who enter school below age related expectation in terms of their communication language skills. Yeah, it's so important. And I know you've got an analogy of farmers, not florists, and I'd love you to touch on that more specifically around the theme of systems change, because that's what this podcast looks to explore. Yeah, so when we set up Voice 21, there was a number of different ways we could have gone with it. And I think anybody who's sort of setting up a, a charity or social enterprise, you've got to find what's your unique contribution to, to making change in that area. We grew out of a school, a school that was focusing around delivering really high quality oracy education for the students that sat in those classrooms. And when I was brought in, I guess there was a decision that we had to make as to whether or not we wanted to kind of replicate that work or we could look at what would it take for oracy to have the same status as literacy and numeracy in an education system for it to become just a part of what uh, ordinary education is for a, a child not exceptional and what does it take to do that and that's where we kind of got to farmers not florists because we felt that the other ways of approaching this were kind of like being a florist giving schools a pretty thing that they can take on board they can put into their classroom for that day, but that within a, a couple of weeks, months, was likely to wither and die because they didn't have the skills to do them themselves. And so we would constantly have to be delivering like into Flora our inputs to them and hoping that they would accept those and that they would display them and hoping that therefore that brightened up the classroom in terms of talk for that time. Instead, we felt that the most effective way of driving systems change was to give the tools to teachers to nurture that practice continually and cultivate that practice in the classroom so that it becomes part of the DNA of that school. So we often talk about the fact that sort of faithful replication of what we do 
is not what we're about. So whilst we want to go into schools and be able to feel the voice 21-ness of it, the schools that we've worked with, we want to see our practice having influenced what they do. We don't want to walk into lessons and they've just faithfully replicated the thing that we showed them at a, at a professional development session, for example, because every school has a different context. For this to stick, it needs to make sense for those students. They need to have made sense about how it connects to other parts of their curriculum, other parts of their ethos and what they do. And that means them taking it and having the confidence to understand and own own everything that we've provided to them or, or supported them in developing and be able to use that continually. So we get really excited when we go to schools and they've built on, changed, adapted what we've done to make it their own. Great. And I suppose if we think of systems change theory and we look at points of leverage, mm. so where would you say a Voice 21's key points of leverage and why are they so important? So, I mean, we've made a decision that our kind of unit of impact would be the school. But within that, obviously, schools are complex ecosystems. So there are different influences on the school. There's that bottom up influence of how do we ensure that the people who make up a school, the teachers, the educators are both fully competent and capable and interested in being able to shape their own classrooms because they're the interface between us and the beneficiary, you know, the, the students. In the end, we don't just want teachers to be doing great things. We only want them to be doing great things because it makes a difference to the life of students. So how do we influence our teachers so that they can offer the best quality oracy education to their students? But also there's more influences than that on a school. So there's a leadership of a school. So how do we ensure that this is something that school leaders see as part of what their school is and what it's about and how do we use the leverage that comes from the vision of school leaders in terms of what they want to shape for their students, what they see, that life of the school that goes beyond those individual classrooms but comes together in the whole culture and ethos of a school. And then there's the external influence on the school. There's a government and our education system in terms of its accountability and monitoring systems, the exam system, you know, all of these things have a huge influence on what schools are able to do. So we also have a role in influencing those parts because if we can unlock the conditions for change for Oracy, if we can unlock those parts of the system to make it easier for schools to say yes to doing Oracy, then the opportunity for that to flow through from the school leader to the teacher and into the students is much greater. So that's a really interesting point you've just touched on around teacher training and how that plays such a big part. Can you talk more about that side of things? When we sat down and thought about this, we recognised that teachers go into institutions and what is valued in those schools and what they are instructed to spend their time on in the curriculum that shapes that will have a huge influence on them. So we felt in terms of enabling us to have the most direct impact on a student and know that that impact was there, that by focusing on how we shape schools, institutions to focus on oracy, that then receive teachers in a place which values oracy, where there's an expectation that they use oracy in their teaching and that they provide that to their students, that's going to have a, a bigger impact than trying to think about how we can shoehorn a bit more oracy into the one year that they're doing their initial teacher training. Now, that doesn't mean that we haven't influenced teacher training. We've got lots of teacher training institutions on boards and, and doing more around oracy and many of them would recognise of its importance anyway but I think in terms of where we can focus our time ensuring that it's there in those schools that's the way of sustaining the change. So outside of Voice 21 where do you see the best points of leverage and opportunities for impact for systems change more broadly in education to, to shift the system as a whole and where are those intervention points? Well, it kind of depends on these things as to whether or not you want to go for 
the short term hit or the long term change, because the most direct means of getting schools to do something is probably to you know, to, uh, to have it in the Ofsted framework. So, you know, now we know, for example, that curriculum is a huge focus and interest for schools. That's come directly from the fact that Ofsted have refocused their way that they apply their framework in schools around curriculum. So, yes, obviously, you know, having oracy as an area that's inspected would mean that schools did more of it. But we would argue only if that's done well, only if it's actually meaningful and purposeful in terms of actually assessing something of value to students rather than being another barrier for schools to jump over or students to jump over. But I think we need to be very mindful of what seems like the quickest wins or the shiniest ways to get short-term change because if schools don't genuinely believe the value of it for their students if we can't demonstrate that if the evidence isn't backing that up then the rest of it is fairly meaningless and I think won't lead to, to lasting change. So that's really interesting. You've just touched on, I suppose, established modes of thinking, core values, doing what's required rather than doing what you think might be the right thing. So I'd be really interested to hear your view on what are the things that need to change to change those perceptions on what, what is right and what is wrong? Yeah, so I mean, I think education, like any sector or system, has huge amounts of established ways of thinking of and things yeah. which make it hard for people to feel they can challenge that and the accountability framework that sits around it limits that opportunity for people to challenge it it creates a risk aversion in a, in a system which then makes it quite difficult for schools to feel like they can step beyond that and often those that feel able to to spend more time on perhaps what they think is right are those that are in a very strong position anyway so those that have you know, outstanding offsteads and have done for some time and therefore feel that they have the space to do it or who have really high performing students anyway, which means it will constantly end up with this kind of two tier system. I think, you know, there's definitely something about what's measured is what's valued within education. You know, what is measurable can kind of in some way sum up the value of a child's education in a series of numbers. There is a value in that in some ways because education is a shared experience is part of what it means to be a society you know it is such a fundamental part that's why we campaign for everyone across the world to have access to an education because it is such a huge part of what it means to build effective societies and that has to be organized in some way it has to be a collective experience in some way it can't kind of have everyone going off rogue but I think within that we can really challenge some of those norms there used to be I think a real sense that if things aren't written down there's no learning and yet we know within in the classrooms that we work in some of the most effective ways of teachers being able to understand misconceptions in their students is to have them verbalising it. So many areas of, of students being able to just access the curriculum, the language levels you need to access GCSE maths are really high. And so unless we create language spaces that where, where talk is happening all the time, the vocabulary development of young people will not be optimised. And so the idea that a quiet classroom is a, a productive classroom, well, actually, you know, a noisy classroom can be a place of huge learning and, and we need to feel comfortable in that. And then there's some much bigger issues at a society level. Um, so I think it's quite a good way of kind of looking at a system again and going, well, what are we setting people up for? What really is it that we value and how do we align things like education much more around the, the skills that young people will require in their life beyond school? I think that there is also an assumption that has emerged over time that kind of these sort of skills may have less value in the future. 
And actually what we found from all of the, the people who look into trends in the future is that those things that make us uniquely human, those social emotional skills are going to be the things that have the greatest value. And we think oracy is exactly one of those areas that's kind of ripe to grow and develop rather than to be narrowed. Yeah, I mean, I hope we never stop talking because yeah. then this podcast is going to end. So. <laughs> um, I love what you said about challenging because I think that's so important when we look at systems change and just challenging the status quo. And it's about how, yeah, how we do that most effectively. So following on from that, then, what is Voice 21's end game? What would an effectively changed system look like to you? I often talk about when oracy is ordinary, you know, so when it is an expectation that when you send your child to school, that is just, you know, part of parcel of every school. It doesn't need to be that you've gone to, you know, an independent school in Windsor in order to be able to to come out with the communication skills that people would say, well, you're likely to be prime ministerial material in the future. You know, that that is something which is just part of every child's education. That then requires all teachers to think of it as part of their job and what they do. It requires a system which recognises the value in that and sees it as not only an outcome from education, but also a part of how all subjects and learning happen. So, you know, reading, for example, is a classic example. We know that schools value reading. We know that every child will be taught to read. We know the system has lots of checks and balances in place to ensure that children are developing those reading skills and we know that there is a stigma attached to a system that didn't provide young people with those skills and for those young people who leave school without those skills you know that is a real challenge for them and something which society again feels a need to step in and potentially help with you know we haven't got the same level of focus around spoken language skills yet I would like to see that equality that schools would feel like they were amiss if they weren't teaching oracy that there would be an expectation that that would be something that would develop and grow as young people move through schools and that there were checks and balances in order to ensure that that was happening and and that young people who didn't have the opportunity to develop those skills, that there was support there to, to enable them to do so. Um, and that requires the teacher training development. It requires schools to feel like this is part of what they do. It requires investment in the system in professional development, in resources and support around it. So rather than providing kind of huge amounts of support to schools and teachers in terms of that development, we'd perhaps become more of a kind of standard setter, a thought leader, you know, looking at kind of what a high quality oracy education is and how do we know and ensuring that that kind of standard is there. You know, this isn't something where there's an absolute measure of it. It's not like you've either got good oracy or you haven't and there's a line that we can draw and say it's here or there. It's something that, you know, the better you get with it, the further you can go and you know there's a huge scope of thinking layers of support that we could offer schools no absolutely that is great it's been so clear throughout this whole interview just how passionate you are about oracy and you know improving those young children's education so that leads me on i think to speak to you more about what led you into you know this role and a bit about your journey so far and what led you to your passion for oracy yeah, I mean, I've always been a talker and, and that led me to want to go into a career where talking was really important. So I went into broadcast journalism and I think that's where I thought I would kind of end up. Clearly, as as often is the case, my, my path has been a winding one. So from working in political journalism, I got really interested in whose voices are heard within our society, who's heard, who's not, and particularly who's heard in our democratic life. So I worked across the road from the House of Commons in, in Millbank Studios, you know, the um, BBC political unit space and that led me to get more involved in how we bring 
citizens' voice and public voice much more into our democratic institutions. So I worked with a think tank that works alongside Parliament to support people, particularly young people, but people across the country to take part in parliamentary inquiries and to feed their voices directly into decision making. And then from that, I got really interested in the kind of more formal parts of democracy. So I went to work for the Electoral Commission and my focus was around outreach. So how do we work with education institutions, uh, those supporting people who are least likely to vote to try and make the case for them engaging in civic life. From that, I went to think about whose voices never get heard through those institutions and that's children because they don't have a vote. And so when I went to work for the Children's Commissioner and that was really about the unheard voices of young people and young people who are most marginalised within our system. So young people in care, young people in mental health service, young people who are in the criminal justice system, how can we ensure that their rights and voices heard? And so I'd spent a lot of time in, in London and I went back up having had my own children to live in Newcastle. And I started to work in education. So I set up another charity called Schools Northeast, which was a network of all the schools. And that was really about the fact that areas like the Northeast, and this is where I really get on my hobby horse, don't have a voice often in the decision making around the country. And schools were nowhere around the table in trying to shape that future. And the schools are the least likely to kind of get access to funding and support from government investment, least likely to be the ones that the Secretary of State listened to when they were trying to shape or develop new policy. And so Schools Northeast was all about bringing the collective voice of all of those schools together to say, hey, you've got to listen to us because there's 1,300 of us here rather than the random schools all over the place. And by creating that voice, we were able to to get investment up into the region to shout about the things that matter to an area like the Northeast, which were very different to the issues that might matter to a school in London. We used to run something called Northeast Women Leaders, and it was a future leaders event for young women across the region. And uh, I remember going to this event and having some amazing young women, 13, 14, 15 year olds, and we were running in groups and there was girls from the local independent schools and girls from the local state schools. And I sat and listened to the discussions and the quality of the ideas was exactly the same when it came to who was going to step forward to present those ideas when it came to who owned them and took credit for them in the best way you know the girls from the state school slunk back and those from the independent school stepped forward and it really annoyed me I was like we are missing out we are missing out on these voices and these are young people who have the skills and capability of, of shaping a region like the northeast and being at the forefront of it but if we don't provide them with platforms to do that and we don't support them to be able to feel like they can use their voice in that way then then we're never gonna hear from them and we're gonna miss out yeah, that's great. And I suppose that transformation that you see in these young children as well. And I'd love to ask you maybe for a personal story that sticks with you, maybe any children that you've spoken to or any particular child where a memory really stands out of how it's changed their life or changed their education in some way. Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky and privileged at Voice 21 because we hear these stories all of the time yeah. through our teachers. In terms of like a really recent powerful example, I judged a public speaking competition in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago with Jess Phillips MP and we had an amazing speech from an 11 year old who had grown up in the care system and she gave a speech around the discrimination that's often leveled against young people who are in care and the range of opportunities that she had but it, 
it was amazing speech, not only because it was obviously hugely heartfelt and, and very powerful in, in its content in its own right, because it was so positive. And she stood there and told a really positive story about the care system and how it had transformed her life and how she felt cared for. And those are voices I don't think we hear half enough of. You know, they're the young people who have the the, the least successful outcomes, if you like, within our current system. You know, she didn't stand there as a victim of a system. She stood there talking about what it had given to her, but how she'd want to shape it differently. And I just thought, gosh, I'm going to watch what you're doing in the next five years because that's a voice that both needs to be heard. And, and if it was, I think could have a tremendous impact. Wow, that's such an inspirational story. I absolutely love that. And yeah, it's amazing that you get to see things like that in your day to day and really see the change firsthand that you guys are having. Is there anyone else, any other charities, any other people maybe doing inspiring, interesting work in the space, in the education space? so many i think education is one of those areas that you know there's been huge amount of innovation huge amount of organizations popping up but there's also amazing practice coming out of schools and so i'm going to dodge the kind of other organizations point although i could list off loads because yeah. actually i think for me what really inspires us and has changed what voice 21 does and continues to do so is what teachers and schools do together so how them coming together in communities of practice and really thinking about their profession and what they want it to be and how they want to make the most impact on young people's lives comes up with the ideas that that really influence an organization like ours because there is it, it is such an inspiring sector to work in. I've never been a teacher. I work in Voice 21 with a huge amount of people who have worked in the education system as teachers. And there is just a, an authenticity, a commitment, a dedication there and a pragmatism and a practicalness about kind of just wanting to make things happen and get things done that I find really drives us. And um, so, yeah, I think that where the, the most inspirational stuff is happening is often in the practice in individual schools. The challenge is getting under the skin of those, lifting out and thinking, well, what's the opportunity to share this more broadly? So, yeah, I would say that power that's in the schools themselves and unlocking that is the most inspiring thing yeah i love that you touched on those teachers as well really like the unsung heroes yeah. in, in in all of this and yeah doing amazing work and i think we all have memories of favorite teachers and people who've inspired us that's so powerful thank you so much for speaking with us today becky it's been amazing really really enjoyed it my mind's been racing whilst we've been speaking so much to think about so much to take away hope our listeners feel the same way i'm sure they will has anything we've sort of really dug into that you're going to take home, think about more or be reflecting on? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think and I really like thinking about the work we're doing within the context of the wider system and how you change it. So, you know, we, we talked earlier about those kind of layers of change that you need to put in place. And so I think with an organisation like Voice 21, we work with about 900 schools across the country. We've got a model that works. We've got evidence that it's making a difference. So I think conversations like today always make me think of like, well, where are the other areas, the buttons that we could be pressing to make this more effective, to make that change happen either more quickly or in a more sustainable way or in a way that, that makes more difference to those young people that are really trying to reach. And how do those things all come together and that's a problem it's a complex problem you know all of the work that organizations like us are doing is complex it's got many different players and many different parts to it and sometimes you can kind of lock in on one part and go well that's our bit whereas if we can be really smart about it and see the the interdependencies between bits even more interesting things can happen so yeah i'm really interested in that kind of interplay and and perhaps how we get at the heart of that and i'll definitely be going away and, and thinking about that more 
Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much again, Becky. Well, I really loved hearing from Becky in that episode. As Aisha said, she gave us so much to think about uh, and it really made me realise just how much I've taken oracy for granted compared to literacy and numeracy skills. Uh, I think especially as two people who particularly love to chat, Johnny. Definitely um, kind of made me realise that we don't value oracy in the same way as we do with, with literacy and numeracy. I really loved how that came through in, in the conversation. Also, I don't know about you, Fliss, but I really loved hearing about Becky's own journey from that bubble of Westminster politics and London journalism, where she felt she was kind of only hearing from certain voices, and, and then connecting that back to her own community in the Northeast and to children and young people elsewhere, and thinking about how she could help them to, to find their voices and to be able to speak with uh, the same confidence that she was hearing in the, in the political world. Yeah, I also loved hearing about her journey. I thought it was really inspiring. Um, and then the line that particularly stuck with me was, a noisy classroom can be a great place to learn. Yeah, unless you're the teacher. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, and if you want to know more about On Purpose, check out our website, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram pages, for updates about webinars, blogs, and upcoming events. And you can find out more about what our associates and brilliant organisations that we work with are up to. Finally, we want to thank Becky and Aisha again for their open conversation and helping us learn more about this fascinating subject. And Johnny Spencer and Louisa Hungate for all of their work on editing this episode. We'll be back soon with more conversations with the people working towards meaningful change. <laughs>